This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute, so thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. Welcome back to Take a Second. Uh, I'm Brian Ricks and Stuart Black. We're here just to take a second and go through the Come Follow Me for October 3rd to October 9th, Isaiah 58 to 66. It's the last of five. Um, this is, I don't know if you guys, everybody else realizes, this is the this is the longest time we have ever spent in the history of the church. <laughs> studying Isaiah. Studying Isaiah <laughs> through an organized curriculum. No other curriculum ever has spent this yeah. much time with Isaiah. Yeah. Finally, we're taking the Lord serious. Yep. And when he his, says, study it. Great are yeah. the words of Isaiah. That's right. So let me show you how great they are. Why don't you take five weeks That's and right. study them? Um, can, so, I, can I say for me personally, I've really enjoyed it. And I don't want to be like one of the people like, I'm enjoying it because I'm supposed to like, I really have enjoyed like the breakdowns of these chapters and being able to like take some additional time. And and for me, it, like just a general teaching idea or technique. Uh, and I've done it in the Book of Mormon. I've done it in the Old Testament before when you're teaching gospel doctrine, uh, family, Sunday school, whatever, uh, or seminary. Uh, but ask, ask like towards the end, like what was your favorite? Mm-hmm. What were some of your personal highlights? Especially because some of the other weeks, there's there's always so much material and you always feel like, oh, I didn't get through this, I didn't get through this, and maybe I didn't involve the class as much as I can. I, I'd always give that recommendation uh, as you're finishing up a lot of these books to just say, what was your highlight? How did you yeah. see the Savior here? Why do you think the Savior would say, greater the words of Isaiah? Is there a verse for you that that would relate to that teaching from Third Nephi? Yeah. Thing, things I, like that, I think, are, are valuable I, in class. Especially you know, this being the year where we've spent more time with Isaiah than any other time, I think this is the time where you want to say, what has been your favorite? Mm-hmm. Is there Has there been anything that we've done over the last five weeks that really stood out to you, that you really, really enjoyed? Um, and I, I think this is a great time to kind of just stop and pause and say, all right, what, what have we gotten out of Isaiah and what's, what's caught our attention? What are the, what are the themes that you've seen running through? I mean, certainly some of those themes, the most obvious ones, wickedness, repentance, and, you know, and cleanliness, what happens at the, at the end of that cycle. And, um, I think it's fascinating though to, to, I'd love to be able to go back and say, all right, from Isaiah, what do you learn about the character of Christ? Mm-hmm. What do you learn about his nature? Um, what do you learn about our natures? Yeah. I mean, this Isaiah has some great insight as to the the nature of people, of, of, of men and women. Yeah. Um, why does he care about commandments? Why Why does he care about repentance? Why does he care about listening to prophets? And why does he give us so many chances? Yeah. I think those are all valuable questions to evaluate and ask. And I think those questions, having that conversation about what do you learn about the nature of Christ and what do you, you know, the differences between us and God kind of leads into these first couple chapters where we're talking about the fast and, and the Sabbath Sabbath. day. Those are two ways that we, we try, at least we, it's one of the purposes of, uh, kind of unifying our will with God's, trying to see things through God's eyes. Uh, I'm fascinated with these uh, some of these these early verses in chapter 58 verse 3 the Lord saying the, the people saying to the Lord wherefore we fasted and thou seest not 
And, and I've tried to put my, I've, as I've read this a couple of times, I've tried to say, is this a literal experience where Isaiah is going to the Lord and saying, Lord, this is what I'm, fe- this is what I'm hearing from the people. Or is this Isaiah kind of almost speaking sarcastically to the people and saying, this is what you've said, and do you realize how dumb you sound when you say it? Uh, but he says, we fasted, and thou seest not. We've afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge. Behold, in the day of your fast, you find no pleasure and exact all your labors. Uh, you fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness, and you ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. You're using the fast for your own purposes. And, and your whole opinion about the fast is wrong. Yeah. Well, and, and just before that, I'll let you keep going. But in, in verse 5, he says, Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? A yeah. day to afflict your soul? Is it, uh, is it to bow down his head as a bulrush? Bulrush is a ta- tall, thin, like grass that has a big, heavy head and is always bowed over. Think of like a big, heavy cattail that just is tipped over. He said, is that what you want your fasting to look at? So when you were reading verse 3, which says, wherefore we fasted and thou seest not, how can you tell if somebody's fasting? You shouldn't. That's the point. You shouldn't be like, I'm fasting, everybody. Like Jesus calls that out in the New Testament. Isaiah is calling it out here. Mm -hmm. That It's not to be noticed by everybody else. God sees it. It's not for you to be like, look how hungry and pale and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not uh, the idea. This is so hard. I'm a bulrush like, bird. <laughs> and you see, and you do see, you see the Savior addressing the same issue later on when he's like, look, there are people who stand on the corner and they make themselves to look like Pray they're loud. fasting. Yeah. And they have their reward. Their reward is that other people know they fast. Yep. And if that's all you want, then by all means, let your fast, fast be that away. way. <laughs> um, every that's time I think of the fast, and I and I'll. I better I better start with this, or my wife will light up every comment board on the, if she even listens to these. Um, I am not good at fasting. This is this is not this is not my strong suit when it comes to the gospel. There's a lot of things that I love and that I get excited about, and, and you're all in with. <laughs> I really and part of it is I if I'm honest, part of it is I have this Isaiah time period attitude about fasting. It's all I see in it is the hard. Yeah. And the Lord's going, but that's not the kind of fast I, that, that's not what I intended you to get out of fasting. Mm-hmm. So if that's what you're getting out of fasting, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And then verse six, he goes on, is not this the fast that I've chosen? In other words, that's verse five isn't you what I it wrong. Yeah. That's not, if that's how you see it, then let me change your perspective a little bit. Mm-hmm. And let me, let me help you see the potential. Uh, first verse six, to lose the bands of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye, that ye may break every yoke. And I think I, as it talks about loosing the bands of wickedness and undoing the heavy burdens, I think about the, the potential for good that fasting does in the lives of other people. I was, I was pretty young uh, in our marriage when I figured out what fast offerings go to. Um, I was living in, a, uh, in Saratoga Springs and I, at the time, Saratoga Springs, all of Saratoga Springs was one stake. Anybody that's down there now, I, there's like 11 stakes that feed into <laughs> to Westlake High School. And, and that's mostly all Saratoga Springs with just a little bit of Eagle Mountain. But so we're this, we're this north end of, uh, of the stake. And our bishop was just having a conversation with us about how our fast offerings, they take care of everybody in your ward first. 
and once it takes care of, it, it, once it's addressed the needs of the ward, then it goes to the stake, and then when it when it's taken care of, the, if the stake has left over, then it goes to, to Salt Lake, and it takes care of other needs. Uh, and I, I remember thinking, like, 100%. I, I used to always be fascinated when United Way would come out and they would do the breakdown of, hey, 43 cents of every one of your dollars goes to actually reaches people. people. Yeah. And when it comes to fast offerings, Elder Worthland gives the talk, I can't remember what year, but he, in that talk he says every single dollar, 100% of fast offerings goes to help the poor and the needy. And so when the Lord says here, this is the type of fast I've chosen, I've chosen a fast for you that is one of the things you should be focusing on is the fact that you are alleviating the burden uh, of those that, that don't have the, the ability to alleviate themselves. Yeah. And then I think there's a, a, a parenthetical or an implied promise here that your burdens will be lighter, lighter as well. But interestingly enough, the way the Lord chooses to do this, the Lord almost always chooses to lighten our burdens by getting us to focus on and work on other people's burdens. Yeah. It's, it's almost like when we go and help other people with their burdens, we turn around and we realize that our cross isn't as big or as heavy or as ugly as we used to think it was. Yeah. And so one of the things that, that does that. And then verse 7, it, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry that thou bring to the poor that are cast out of thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him uh, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? I, I love the idea King Benjamin's talk when he says, aren't we all beggars? In one way or another, in verse 7, we ought to see ourselves in one way or another in the in that verse. Yeah. You know, how in what ways are we spiritually poor or or not covered as well as we should be? Yeah. Uh, and and the fast is meant to take care of that. Absolutely. And and I love just this past conference. Uh, wasn't it President Oaks? He mentioned like the dollars. He mentioned oh, yeah. specific the amount, dollars, the yeah. amount of help that they've done in. A, was it one or two conferences ago before this one that they had another breakdown of it? Mm -hmm. and they said, here's some of the ways that the church has been reaching out and helping people. And um, I, I like that. I like some of the dollars and cents and when they when they break that down and um, to, to understand that you deal your bread to the hungry. You're hungry. They're always hungry. Yeah. Your cross is, is a lot smaller than them. I, I love that idea. And, and, and that's one of the huge blessings of, of fasting. Isaiah says, well, it's, it's not for you to be just all mopey. It's for you to help other people. That's fast offerings in the church. That's what they're all about. And, and I love that this this part that we're talking about is coming, at least for my stake, we have Fast Sunday on Sunday. And so <laughs> for, for me, uh, like a teaching idea for it, you talked about like, oh, what words are associated with fasting? I'd, I'd have people just list them up on the board. Yeah. Is it dread? Is it anxiety? Is it like it's long? The jo the long-standing joke is it's not fast Sunday, it's slow Sunday because yep. it goes so much. It takes so much longer than everything else. Um, but a huge part of it to me is is sacrifice. Uh, I, I think fasting to me is just a, a synonymous with sacrifice. That the Lord loves it, and and I would just emphasize that as I was teaching it. Why does God love you to sacrifice something? Why does He love you to give up something? I. Uh, um, these are probably in the scriptures, probably my favorite scriptures about fasting. I love them. I love how Isaiah says, like, don't be mopey, don't be grouchy about it, like, be happy, like, no more hangry. Yeah. Like, that is done. And uh, and I, uh, I couldn't help but think of um, 
I, I don't know, a lot of my life, especially as a youngster, like fasting was, I'd be halfway through a bowl of marshmallow mateys, and my mom is like, it's fast it's Sunday, fast like, <laughs> like pour down the sink, and you're like, well, that's not really fasting very much, you know? <laughs> and uh, I, I thought of an uh, experience I had in high school, probably one of the first times I made up my mind I was going to fast. Um, and it was a Wednesday, and it wasn't anywhere close to the first Sunday of the month. And uh, I, I had two really, really close friends in high school, Cole and Kyle, that uh, one of my friends, uh, Cole, um, we had a government project coming up in our class, and we were supposed to be using the amendments to have a group presentation. It was almost like a court case, but you could only use your one amendment, and the other oh, people wow. had to use the one amendment against you, and you had to use it against them. And uh, We had this big group presentation, and then the class was the jury, and they were going to vote at the end. And So anyways, Cole and I were in the same class, and he shows up, and he's like, and he like mouths that to me, I can't talk. And I'm like, what? He's like, I can't talk. And it's not even that loud. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you're teasing. You've got to be teasing me because that's what boys do. They're just uh, close to each other. Brutal. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, I promise I really can't. And I'm like, we have our presentation today. He's like, so all these things, like, he's just like, okay, so I have to get up. And, you know, he tries to participate as best as he can. But he's like, I don't have a voice. I can't Hand do anything. Signals. And I thought, oh, you know, he's just kind of sick for a day or two or whatever. And this is you know, forever ago. And uh, it didn't get better. And it was like a week later and he still didn't have his voice back. And so he'd like call you on the phone and you'd see on the caller ID, it's Cole Benson. And you're like, hello? You couldn't hear anything on the other end. You're like, whistle if you're there. And he'd, he'd like just whistle a little something or push a button on the phone and you're just like, do you wanna come over? Hit a button if you want to come over. One <laughs> yeah, and you're like, how am I wow. going to get this? And uh, anyways, he like went to the doctor and they couldn't figure it out. And and it happened, it, I mean, a, a week turned into a couple of months. And he went to specialists, he went to all these things, and, and nobody knew what was going on. They, he got allergy shots and all these other things, and we're like, wow, what's going on? Wow. And, and this is, uh, after a couple of months, he, he, tells, uh, he tells us that... Um, he has to go to a, like a, a throat specialist and they've done some scans and they, they don't know, but it could be cancer and they're gonna cut out, they might have to cut out part of his vocal cord. And we're like seniors in high school and we're think, I start thinking, how's he gonna serve a mission with this? And uh, I was like worried for him. And so as I'm like thinking about like, how, how do I help my friend Cole? I don't know anything to do. So I just decide on this Wednesday, I'm gonna fast for him. He had told us he was going to the doctor on Wednesday um, and so I, I just made up my mind I'm going to fast. So most, we had an open campus. We'd go out to eat a lot with my friends and stuff for lunch. And um, a lot of my friends, you know, took off. They're like, hey, do you want to come? I'm like, oh, no, I got homework to do. And I didn't, like, make a big deal. And I didn't stand on the corner and tell all my friends, like, hey, I'm fasting for Cole. You should, too. You, yeah. Like, they were all friends with him. And, and uh, I just had made up my mind. I don't need to tell anybody about it. Just a regular old Wednesday. Um, on Thursday, Cole comes back to school just talks regular, just 100% regular. And I'm like, what'd they find out? He's like, nothing, I just woke up and I was okay. And uh, I never told Cole, um, he passed away about a year after our missions um, from something else. And uh, I, I, never, I never told him that I had fasted for him. But a bunch of years later, I had, was talking to Kyle one time. I said, hey, do you remember when Cole was sick? He's like, yeah, that was crazy. I said, I fasted for him. And Kyle said, I did too. I never told you. And uh, for me, that was like one of those, those moments. It reminded me of eight where it says, then shall thy light break forth as the morning 
and thy health shall spring forth speedily. And for me as a, as a 17 or 18 year old kid, I learned like fasting works. If I'm halfway through a bowl of marshmallow mateys, I really haven't fasted very well. But if I really am dedicated to it, God sees it. Uh, and in nine, he says, then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, here I am. When you're younger, sometimes you just have simple faith when you're like, I expect it. I expect God to hear me and he does. I don't think of like the times that he does and I think of, I'm trusting him. Everything's in his court. And uh, I, I love that. I, in, in terms of that, a lot of people have great stories about fasting. I'd encourage uh, people to share them, share yeah. the blessings of it and, and to get out of that mindset of fasting is a burden. So I'll share one of mine and, mine, and mine's the opposite. So we, so I've already mentioned that I'm not really great at fasting. It's not something I look forward to, but uh, I have, my, and, and Jessica and I have made a, a, a pattern. We've, we've made a habit of major decisions are always made in conjunction with temple trips, scripture study, and fasting. Always, always, always. And uh, not long ago, we were uh, getting ready to, we, we had, we had bought this property and we were um, going to build a spec home on it. And then and that was 2007-ish. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, that is my timing, um, by the way. Buy high, sell low. That's it. <laughs> always with the stocks, real estate. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, and so it, then it was like, oh, we're not going to be able to, the spec home thing isn't going to work. So now we'll just, we had enough equity in our existing home that we were able, we were just going to build our own house. And, and uh, we were trying to pick between builders and we prayed and fasted about it. And we, and, and we made a real serious concerted effort to, to kind of decide what direction we wanted to go and, and who we wanted to go with and, and what plans we wanted. I mean, it was, we, and prayer was fasting and multiple fasts, not just one. And so we ended up settling on a particular builder and then moved through the construction process. Well, long, long, long story short, we ended up in the middle of a lawsuit because things didn't, things that were told to us would happen didn't. And, and it just, it became a really ugly, in fact, I, financially one of the ugliest experiences of my mortal life. Um, and, and just a, a really brutal experience. And I've, I've thought a lot about that, about like, wait a minute, we fasted. Like, and, and I've, I've come to, I, as I think about some of these, you know, thou shalt call and the Lord shall answer and thou shalt cry and, and, uh, and he shall say, here I am. I don't know. I think sometimes we try and use revelation or this process of fasting or really any obedience to any commandment of the Lord as leverage against mortality. If I do these things, then I'm not going to experience the crappy things of mortality. And that's not God's plan. And I think sometimes we pray and we fast and we see ourselves doing all the right things, but the outcome that we had hoped for doesn't happen. And that can be, that can be troubling. Uh, but I think it's interesting. So while we didn't get the answer we particularly wanted, my wife and I would both tell you that throughout that experience, over and over and over again, um, we did hear the answer, here am I. We did hear um, God's directing voice and, 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 and a couple of specific experiences. The directing voice we got was not the answer. It wasn't what we wanted him to say to us. It wasn't even comforting. But it was him giving us direction. And I think sometimes that's more important than getting what I want is knowing that God is there. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I, as you, and you look down at fasting or, you know, transition from fasting to Sabbath day and verse 13, if you turn your foot away, 
turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath day a delight. I, one of the things that the Sabbath day has done for me is helping me to love what the Lord loves. Uh, and I, my favorite quote, and I, I think it seems like it was quoted maybe once or twice in conference. I've heard it several times since President Nelson said it back in 2015 about the Sabbath day and how, uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something to the effect of, he had looked at all of the, the list, the do's the and don'ts. The do's and don'ts of the Sabbath, yeah. And, but there was a there was a transition for him. There was a change for him when he started seeing the Sabbath day as a uh, as a signal to the Lord. Mm-hmm. This is my this is this is the signal I'm sending to the Lord about how I feel about him and about his sacrifice and and the question he would ask when it came to doing certain things on the Sabbath day was, what message does it send to the Lord? Mm-hmm. And and is it the message I want? And I think in combining those two things, fasting, I I love the fact that Isaiah has them together because it's the two of those together, it's more about, almost like the Bible Dictionary describes prayer, it's about aligning my will with God's, not using fasting and Sabbath to getting God to do what I want him to do. It's to put me in a position where I start to see God's will and and want his will as much as I want my own. Absolutely. And and that's, I I really think that's one of the, the biggest blessings of of keeping the Sabbath day holy and of fasting is that you are you are fortifying and strengthening a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Why does he love sacrifice? Well, because he did it all the time. So why do you love it? Why is it good to deny yourself of things like that? And you're like, well, it's, it's good for you. If nothing else, you are connecting yourself with the yeah. Savior. There are times when God says, you bet, here's your answer. I will restore your friend's voice. Yep. And there's other times where he says, this house is not going to work out right for you or this, this job. And I'm, I mean, there's, there's tons of those instances where you think that this is what I was supposed to be doing. And guess what? It was, it just didn't work out the yeah. way that the same way that you thought, but it still was the right answer. Do you still see God's hand in it? Do you still like the savior in Gethsemane when he says, I please take away this cup? No, that's still God being there for yep. you. And, and I think that that reminder is is just valuable for us. Yeah. So I, I love that, Brian. Yep. Um, I. Uh, what else did you want to well, jump yeah, on? I mean, we've done one bunch. chapter yeah. so far. <laughs> this is usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. I uh, um, just just kind of a, a simple one um, is in 59 uh, verses one and two. It says this. Uh, so. Again, just a, a basic teaching idea. You could write you and God on the board or just write God on the board and have one person standing there. Um, if you have like another board or something, you can slide in the way. If you're teaching this at your home, just maybe pick a picture of the Savior and then have your shorter person and a taller person stand there and you'll see why. In verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sometimes we think that, um, and, and to me this was kind of a theme of Isaiah, that a lot of times Israel and Judah had thought God's given up on him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I've been here the whole time. I have not moved. 
I am in the same spot and you have distanced yourselves or you have turned the other way. And mm -hmm. that idea of repentance is a returning to turning God. Back to so that idea of if you put God on, on a board or if you put a picture of the Savior in your house, either turn away or get somebody to stand up in the way. And then if you want, just like depending on your age and audience and stuff, just get a bunch of sticky notes or pieces of paper and tape it on the person standing in the way or the thing that's standing in the way that what sins get in the way in our life? Mm -hmm. What things in, as a family have have caused us to not be able to see the Savior as clearly. The, the picture on the wall hasn't moved. You didn't take it off and move it in this object lesson, but we've allowed other things to get in the way that, that are trapping us. And I love that he points it out that, that he doesn't move. Iniquities and sin and sometimes when we focus on our difficulties too much, those are the things that separate us from God. And, and you know, in the New Testament, Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Unless you choose it. Except us. Except you. Me. It's it's your choice at the end of that. And so for me, I love those verses in, in 1 and 2 where at the end we have to find out and take some ownership. What is it that's causing me to ruin my relationship with the Savior? What is really getting in the way there? Yeah. Um, I, it's as we his, – his comment – your iniquities have separated you between it. The way we talk sometimes in the gospel, we talk about the spirit leaving us. And it, it, Isaiah would say, ah, that's not exactly accurate. It's not, it's not the spirit leaving you. It's you leaving where the spirit is. And, and the idea of repentance is just simply returning to where the spirit is. Go back to that spot. Yeah, go back where they're at. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love that in, in 61... In describing this, the, what the Lord does for people, I, I think often the, the Lord, or Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah points out a pretty bleak spiritual condition of the Israelites. It's it's pretty it's pretty sad at times. Uh, you know, even when the Israelites do the right thing, they don't do it in the right way or for the right reasons, and so the Lord even gets frustrated with that. Um, they're so blind to their own wickedness that even in the midst of uh, all of their sinning, whether that's lying, hypocrisy, whatever, they still look at themselves and say, I'm holy. You see that back even in Jesus, or 700 years later, they're going to still be that way. The Pharisees are going to be laying claim to, we're the seed of Abraham, and the Lord's like, you don't get it. I can raise, so? <laughs> I can make rocks. I can turn rocks into the children of Abraham. That's not what I'm looking for. And and so somehow they've kind of blinded themselves to their own wickedness and to their own need for repentance. But at some point, one of the purposes of the prophets is to call our attention to the gap, the, the distance between us and righteousness. And he says in here, there's just a couple, he talks about, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give the, unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I just think about this garment of praise uh, and the garments that we get from the Lord. Uh, later on in the, in, um, second, in, ch in the next ch in chapter 63, verse 1, it says, Who is this that cometh from Edom? Now, Edom, there's a couple of different things. Edom could be referring to Esau. And where Esau goes, but Edomia, it could also it could also have reference to the world. And so, who is this that's coming out of the world uh, with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in apparel, traveling in greatness of his strength. And then the Lord answers Isaiah's question: It's me. 
I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Then Isaiah asked, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? Why are your clothes like this? Mm-hmm. So earlier in 61, I give unto them garments of righteousness, and then here comes the Savior in these garments of red. And uh, Isaiah says, Why are you wearing red? And in his response, the Savior says in verse 3, I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people, there was none with me. Can I just say, I love that phrase. Why? I, I just I just always have. I, I've trodden the winepress alone. Like, it's past tense. It's finished. It's done. And when he's showing up with proof, and I, I love that for, for somebody that probably requires too much proof for stuff, I love that Jesus shows up with that. With evidence. With visual, evidence of what, what he has done by himself, and there's no way around it. He has done it. Anyways, yeah. keep going. Well, I, one of the things I like is that throughout these chapters, and as you go through and read them, you'll find places where the Lord is like, why can't I find judgment? Why can't I find justice? Why can't I, why don't I find an intercessor? Why don't I find, and the Savior says, I, I, I've got all of these people who have covenanted to take my name upon them, and none of them are doing it. None of them are doing to other people what I would do if I were in their place. And so who's going to have to do it? I'm going to. So the Savior shows up and says, I've trodden this alone. Now, obviously, none of us could have trod it with him. And it's, I don't know that this is a, a criticism of you, no, you should no. have been there, but right. you weren't. This is, this is just a doctrinal statement. And he says, I, I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. So while you and I get to wear these robes of white, Jesus is wearing these robes of red as a reminder to us that this is... I'm wearing the robes you should have been wearing. Yeah. I've taken your place. This is, this is this apparel switch is kind of this symbolic. I've taken your place in, in this moment of judgment, and you get to wear white while I have to wear red. Um, and then late in the next in the next chapter, verse 64, there's this reminder. He says, "We are all as unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses." I love that. This, all of our acts of righteousness, all of the little things that we do to, to be worthy, there's filthy rags. Yeah. And that's what Jesus has put on himself. These dirty, stained rags. And it's so interesting that, our, I don't remember who I was listening to, somebody, it, it might have been Jared Halverson or somebody else, they made this, this really interesting statement that somehow our blood stains his robes but his blood cleanses ours. Yeah. And I'm just, I, this, the way, the way Isaiah ends with the symbolism of the, the robes at the last days, at the, at the second coming of Christ, and how he'll, there will be this visible reminder that he is wearing what we would have been wearing, but because of his willingness to take our place, we get to stand there in, in white clothes, in white robes of, of his righteousness. Yeah. And, and it comes down to our choice. I, mm-hmm. I think uh, for, for me, just a, a final thought is in 66 that it ties into this. A couple of weeks ago, you were talking about the worm, right? And uh, there's there's another thought that I had, had stumbled upon one time through another teacher, through a student's question. Um, and in the very last verse of Isaiah, they were actually studying the seminary class one day in Doctrine and Covenant 76, verse 44, and it's mm-hmm. about the sons of perdition. And there's this phrase about halfway through verse 24 here, and it's the same one in 76. 
where it says they've transgressed against me, all that, but that it says, for their worm shall not die, or their worm dieth not. And this kid raises his hand, he's like, what's that mean? And my friend's like, I have no idea, but I'll look into it. Next. (laughs) (laughs) So it it takes him, it took him over to Isaiah. He's looked up all the different times in the scriptures where it says worm and stuff. Looked it up on, uh, there's an app called the Blue Letter Bible. It has commentaries, ideas, and uh, cross-references from different um, translations of the Bible and stuff. And this is what it says. So I wrote this in my scripture because this was so cool to me. The worm, this worm in here, um, its Latin is coccus illicus. And it says this, when the female of the scarlet worm species was ready to give birth to her young, she would attach her body to the trunk of a tree, fixing herself so firmly and permanently that she would never leave again. The eggs deposited beneath her body were thus protected until the larvae was hatched and able to enter their own life cycle. As the mother died, the crimson fluid stained her body and the surrounding wood. From the dead bodies of such female scarlet worms, the commercial scarlet dyes of antiquity were extracted. What a picture this gives of Christ dying on the tree, shedding his precious blood so we could live. In this verse and in the Doctrine and Covenants, the worm that dieth not means they who reject the atonement of Jesus Christ and deny the Holy Ghost don't have the worm, Christ, die for them. It's, it becomes this moment where you say, that worm didn't die for me. That Christ was willing to go so low beneath all things worm-like to die for us. That, that's in Henry Moore's biblical basis for modern science, and I, I kind of paraphrase some of that to, to fit in there he for me. He didn't reference the Doctrine and Covenants. He didn't reference, yeah, he, that wasn't him. That was me that connected a couple <laughs> of those other thoughts. But I, I love that idea that you are cleansed because of Jesus. And Jesus stained that wood on the cross, and he stained his robes in Gethsemane and in Golgotha for us. And if we accept him, then we're cleansed and we're healed, and we align our will with him. And it requires some sacrifice and some commandments. But all of that just points us to him. And, and I will always be one who accepts Jesus as one who's not willing to die for me. Uh, it, it reminds me, having just finished up General Conference, uh, Elder Johnson's talk about his grandson, and, and I've thought a lot about, you know, needing the bone marrow transplant, or trans, uh, transplant, and, uh, and the fact that, just that difference between the things that the grandson had, his grandson had things he was supposed to do, but if he had done all of those things without the help of a doctor, it doesn't do any good. Going through all, all of his works, to put him in that phrase, does no good without the doctors. And and just the the fact, just that, regardless of what we do in the in the gospel, ultimately, if if there is no blood of the lamb, if there is no scarlet worm, nothing we do matters. Our works have no merit. Okay, closing comment. Favorite verse from Isaiah. What is it? Boy, that's that's tricky. Um, I love probably just recently because it's uh, more of the. Well, actually, I'll pick one from this week. It's hard to pick a favorite. It's like, what's your favorite kid? It's Melanie. No, I'm just kidding. She'll be so happy to hear that. Um, I love 60, 1, 2, and 3. Um, and I love it because of, uh, of my profession. I love it because I love the youth and I love the young adults. And it says this, Arise and shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. 
For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to thy brightness of thy rising. Those first two verses, the Lord saying, arise and shine. Your light is coming because the Lord is coming. You are light because he is first light. You are like the moon. And all of your, all of the light that you get, we all understand that, that it's all reflect, reflected from the sun. And when he says this, that everyone is going to notice your light because you have Jesus's light. And in a world of darkness and in turmoil and chaos, and um, I, I love that that's not the emphasis, that great light is here. And it's, it's because the good people of the kingdom choose to have the Savior's light with them. So for me, I, I love that idea. And it gives me a lot of hope in the world. Cool. Because of Christ. You? Um, I like several verses from 43. Who's your favorite kid? Um, <laughs> just kidding. My kids will all say that it's grace, but she just turned 12, so that's uh, debatable now. She, she's reached that age. Um, I, I love, so verse 5, verse 4, since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable and I have loved thee. Therefore, I will give men for thee and people for thy life. Verse 5, fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. There is nowhere that Christ won't go to find us. Um, I love Elder Holland's statement, and I've heard him bear testimony similar to this in multiple different uh, conference talks when he says things to the fact that you can't sin far enough. You, you can't sin so much to be away from the Lord, um, that you can't remove yourself far enough away and, and in touch with the verse that my arms are still my arms are still just as long they're still just as capable of reaching you and and there's nowhere that he will go or that he will not go uh, verse 12 then at the end of that I've declared and saved and I've showed and there was no strange God among you therefore you are my witnesses saith the Lord that I am God and I just think that as the last days come that's one of the greatest opportunities and responsibilities that sits upon us is to be able to look and say, uh, you know, Elder Lund talks about, Gerald Lund talks about uh, divine signature, signature moments where it seems like God reaches down and signs your life. And some of them are little and some, and, and some of them are simple and some of them happen in the hardest times of our lives and, and some of them are easily missed. But when we have those divine signature moments, we have the opportunity and the witness, uh, the opportunity and the responsibility to be a witness that there is a God and that he is, that he's the God of Israel and he's the God of every one of us on the earth. And I, I love that, that idea and the opportunity that we have to teach other people about him. Yeah, love that. Hopefully you, everybody's enjoyed these, uh, this extended Isaiah um, opportunities. It's been, it's been fulfilling and good. Yeah, I hope so. Well, thanks for joining us. If uh, if you have if you're seeing this on YouTube, then jump over. You can catch us on the podcast, or if you're on the podcast, you can always watch watch the video on YouTube. So we'll see you next week when we uh, what do we got? Two Jeremiah. weeks. Two weeks in Jeremiah. Just one, I think. Just one. I think so. Oh. Jeremiah then Ezekiel. Okay, I think it's two in Jeremiah and one oh, in Ezekiel. Maybe I'm wrong. Not enough for Ezekiel, but <laughs> thanks. We'll see you next week. Hey, you're still here. I have a question for you. Are you ready? Okay, when you were a kid, what emotions or feelings did you attach to fasting? To fasting? That's not what I expected. Um, it just meant that I didn't eat for a while, and then we had a really big dinner at the end of the day. 
instead of just like a normal dinner, it was like a feast. I don't know. My parents didn't make me fe- like start fasting until I was like 12. Okay. And then even at that point, it was a choice. So it wasn't like you have to fast. It was like, no, like you're 12 now. Like you understand fasting. Would you like to fast with us? So there was a lot more choice in it. Like my parents never forced me to. So when I did do it, I was doing it for a purpose. Okay. So, so I never really had negative emotions attached to it. Ooh. I would say when I was a kid, I didn't really love fasting when I was younger because we just didn't eat for like two meals. You felt kind of like you were starving by the end. <laughs> but like as I grew older and understood more and my parents kind of talked to me more about it and I understood what it meant to me personally to fast. And when we fasted with a purpose, like as a family, when we would fast for like other family members, then it would mean more. But yeah. Pain. Because uh, it was painful before and after I broke my fast. Because uh, I was always hungry and then I ate too much after dinner. <laughs> and so as a child, it was a very painful experience and I, dre- I dreaded it. But I know that it blesses us, so that's why I continue to do it. <laughs> so when did you come to learn that it blesses you? Um, I think it's just the small and simple things that we do in order to receive the blessings that Heavenly Father wants us to have. And that's one of the things he said to do, so I trust that it will continue to bring blessings. Yeah, um, I never really looked forward to it just because we would fast for the full 24 hours. And so it was hard. I don't think my body was used to it. Um, But kind of what Andrew said, even though it hurt and it wasn't the greatest physical experience, um, it it always brought spiritual blessings. Uh, My parents always taught me to fast with a purpose, so when I'd get hungry, I would just think of the purpose, and it kind of helped me get through fasting a little bit better because I was thinking of what I was fasting for. Thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the Scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.